the leader of our country is trying to create chaos. You commit to making sure that there's a peaceful transfer of power. We want to have get rid of the ballots. We'll have a very peaceful. There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. This is very disappointing, and and really, this is something that that our founders feared. I began by telling the president that there was a cancer growing on the presidency. He is trying to make people feel powerless. The last thing we need is, a, you know, the equivalent of a coup. I mean, this is not, this is not who we are, and no one's going to back him when that occurs. He never makes a mistake, so he certainly could never stand up in front of the American people and say, I lost. A cancer on America. I'm Arlene Bynum. And I'm John Laboutlier, and this is Revolution. Is America in terrible trouble, John? We begin this podcast entering a phase that many of us, quite frankly, have not seen on our history. Is it bluster, or is the sitting president of the United States scheming to affect the outcome of the election? Democracy leader of the free world. I'm getting heavy here, John, but it's been kind of a heavy week. I don't think you're getting too heavy, though, Arlene. I think we need to face the plain fact that Donald Trump will do anything to get reelected, including corrupting various institutions of the federal government that none of us ever thought before could be corrupted uh, as much as he is doing it. And we're going to go through some of them. But before we do, I had asked that we use the John Dean audio where he warned Nixon Mm -hmm. during the Watergate crisis uh, that there was a, quote, cancer around the presidency, as he had first said on on the original Watergate tape. And I thought that's applicable here because the cancer now is the president. He is the malignant force that is corrupting institutions of the federal government that we thought before were uh, immune from such disease. But we've seen it metastasize over these three and a half years and now faced with the very real possibility that he will lose this election in, what, five weeks. He is doing things publicly and, of course, behind the scenes that no one ever would have thought possible before. You know, John, the world is really reacting to this. And this is not about left or right. This is not a partisan discussion we're going to have today. I don't know about you, but that's how I'm feeling about it. This is about up and down. This is about democracy and freedom and things we took for granted. And there is a stirring in the soul that this could be possible. And we're starting to see the ways in which it may be possible because we've been on this strange journey. We've had a president with a solid base, not tossing him aside for ethics, perhaps not even tossing him aside if he shot somebody in Fifth Avenue. It was a joke. It's not a joke much anymore. And then we have the Democrats trying to to hold him to power, hold him back. And the world is watching the United States of America. Before we begin this, I do want to bring it into that context. This is perhaps the beginnings of, dare we say, people are using the word civil war. An America that may not be governable. Like, can you bring this Humpty Dumpty back together? All those questions And as you and I are going to do here today is we're going to look at the ways that the president 
has the power to maneuver and and the reporting and what we know of of what he may be doing. But I just want to say before we get going here, this feeling has shown up in so many ways, hasn't it, John? We had the article that was put out in, in the Atlantic and it was prefaced by a an email saying it might have been the most important thing they'd ever seen. Then we had Frank Bruni in the New York Times, here, there, and everywhere, Slate Magazine, articles about are we there. It's an it's an incredible feeling here, and we hope this is all wrong and people have been careful. But now I don't know if they should be so careful. Well, the only precedent we have for this is 1860. Abraham Lincoln is, excuse me, on the verge of being uh, elected president as the first Republican president on an anti-slavery message. And the South starts making noises before the election that they will not honor the results if, uh, as they called it, a black Republican, meaning a Republican who goes against what they stand Mm -hmm. for, if he were to win the election. And when he did win, Uh, During the months after the election, before he's inaugurated, they started seceding from the union. Here, 160 years later, it's the president who's threatening, in effect, to secede from the union, who says, I'm not going to accept the results if I don't win. And as we heard on that other clip, denigrating the ballots. If the ballots aren't counted, then there won't be a transfer. There'll be a continuation. That term continuation is frightening to me. It is frightening. And um, also in a global historical term, I mean, Dana Milbank in the Washington Post actually going back into Nazi Germany. People have been very careful here. But let's talk about the ways the president may be planning this, that, you know, the article in The Atlantic, as you said, going into the states and trying to control the outcome. What's he been doing? And can he do it? Well, okay. So we we have a list, you and I, of various institutions that Trump wants to corrupt for his purpose of getting reelected. But one that he's already corrupted, going back to 2016, of course, is the entire Republican Party, who 90% of them support Trump, do what anything Trump says. And he apparently has had uh, some of his campaign people talk to the legislative leaders in Pennsylvania the Republican legislature, Democratic governor, but the legislature is Republican. And they've talked to the majority leader of the state Senate and the speaker of the uh, state assembly about the possibility after the election's over of ignoring the results and instead sending to Washington a separate slate of electors, which technically they can do. Now, Most people think they won't do it because they, Mm -hmm. too, are elected officials. And how's that going to look when they run for reelection, that they blew off the wishes of their voters? I know, but that's years down the road. The the reporting that there is machinery being worked and tried out here, they're doing a, a, a few trial runs, is very disturbing. On the other hand, we got a little pushback from people, which we'll get to, but You know, as we're talking about this, the attorney general's name rings in our mind. He is riding shotgun with this president, it seems, not being the attorney general so much, according to critics, for the United States of America, but the lawyer for the president. 
And we had this week the ballots, these nine ballots that were found. John, Department of Justice looks like it's going to be on the president's side. Well, now, you had mentioned a minute ago Dana Milbank's column mm-hmm. <clears throat> this week in the Washington Post. It's in Part of the title is The Reichstag is Burning. And mm-hmm. just for people who don't remember, early on, Nazis burned down the Reichstag. So we don't know who burned it down, but they claimed, you know, hooligans, Jews burned it down, therefore justifying uh, the jackboot of Nazism to come in and take over. This thing, these nine mysterious ballots that were found in a trash can outside a board of elections is equally odd in the way it was found and ends up being briefed personally to the president of the United States in the Oval Office by the attorney general. Are you kidding me? One mm-hmm. little case that hasn't even been investigated is being briefed by uh, the attorney general. Makes you think it's the Reichstag. It's a phony excuse. It could be. We do not know. Well, but I just it said makes it makes you, you think, think it. Yes, That's you're right. All. Yeah. And, and it makes you wonder. They've lost their credibility after all the other stuff they've done. And we already knew the DOJ has been corrupted by Trump. That They're gone and the Republicans are gone. The U.S. military has come up in, in that article in The Atlantic by Barton Gilman. The question of what will the military do at the period of preceding, during, and after the election? If Trump were to call in the military to quell disturbances, to muddy up and make chaos, to say, hey, we can't count the ballots, it's, it's too chaotic, so I'm staying in office. Will the military follow that order? Now, there have been a number of articles this week indicating they're having huge dissent inside the upper echelons of the military leadership in the Pentagon, and they're not going to do it. They, they, they got a little slap back on June 1st when General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, was used in his combat fatigues as a Mm -hmm. photo op prop when Trump went over to St. John's Church in Lafayette Square and held up the upside down Bible. And General Milley was right there and he Mm -hmm. got excoriated for it. And I think they've learned their lesson. They cannot involve themselves in partisan politics. You know, as we look at this, we we, as you rightfully bring up, we're looking at all the other institutions that the president has tried to move in on. And while we're talking, of course, the pandemic is infused in all of this. And we know this is, there's been a movement by this president to say the pandemic is not what it is, to be very blunt. And then now we see the president moving in and the White House moving into the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, taking $300 million that was there to alert, explain, and educate the public about the dangers of the pandemic, but instead it's being used to play along the theme of what the president says about this virus is it's not that big of a deal. And it's making a lot of news as we record this podcast. Absolutely. And coinciding with that, as he tries to downplay it, he wants to, to use his term, upplay (laughs) his power to (laughs) deliver the all-powerful vaccine before the election. And in, in anticipation of that, inside the FDA, another institution he's trying to corrupt, they fought back this week and set up a new review board to uh, clear any vaccine before it can be 
cleared for the public. And Trump is all upset that he says, oh, that's a political move. Not really. That's a move to prevent him from rushing out a not yet ready for use uh, vaccine in the next month. And I, I think you've also seen the drug companies get together and say, we're all going to be together on this and we're not going to agree to release a vaccine until we're sure the test results are good. But he is trying to take it over. You're right. Yeah. And there we are, you know, already in people's minds, if a vaccine comes out and this is the United States of America, I'm I'm in Canada here. We bring a different perspective and we always look to America. And during history, we would have expected to look to America, how they were handling the pandemic. And now we're seeing the iconic Center for Disease Control. We're seeing the FDA fight to go through their processes here. It's absolutely an incredible time as we navigate, you know, who's in charge. Isn't that what we're thinking? We, I don't know about you. When I see one of these stories from the White House, I say, okay, who's in charge of that institution? Has, has the president put someone in who's so-called loyal to him? This is going to be something for the history books that we were even wondering these things. Well, we already know they have, because earlier this year when the pandemic began, Trump was touting hydroxychloroquine every day and forced the FDA to do an emergency acceptance of it before it was properly tested. Meanwhile, the VA tested it on veterans in some hospitals, got very alarming results, possible yeah. cardiac damage. And they then got the FDA to withdraw their approval of hydroxychloroquine for this thing. But the president of the United States is like the prescriber in chief of drugs. Are you kidding? Then a month ago, he did it again with mm -hmm. plasma therapy and forced them to do an emergency use okay of that when it really wasn't tested yet. So clearly he wants to do as he gets closer to the election. And he's farther behind. He needs a Hail Mary pass. And he's talked himself into thinking that announcing the vaccine will do it. And he's trying to take over that process. They are fighting back to their credit and not going to go easily on letting that happen. Now, into all this scenario, poof, we have the opening on the Supreme Court and he's making his nomination. It's going to go through and you could just see it. You know, the Republicans coming together with the president to push this through and the, the wheels turning there that this may reset the button and Republicans that may be straying because of the president's behavior and because of the pandemic may be reminded of their roots and get back to their cultural values. I'm not so sure it's going to work, though, John. You? No, I think that Trump, as usual this year, uh, first on the pandemic and then on the race situation after George Floyd, and now I think on the Supreme Court, it's a divided country, obviously, and it's like 60-40 on each of these issues. And Trump picks the 40, not the 60. Other presidents are smart enough to go to the 60. He just goes to the 40, which is why his ratings are around 40. Uh, on the Supreme Court, the polling shows that 60 percent of the public say the next president, whoever is elected in this November, should be the one to make the Supreme Court pick. He's decided to go the other way. He made it very clear. He said, I want full nine justices on the court to decide the election. Mm -hmm. He thinks he can get this thing into the courts 
where he's appointed a lot of judges and get it up to the Supreme Court and they'll side with him. That's like his last bastion of hope. He he never thinks he can get the public to vote for him. <laughs> That's right? really good point. It's, it's That's I gotta really I gotta stop point. the ballots. I gotta <laughs> yeah. fake the vaccine. Yeah. I gotta lie about this and that. But he and never that, goes to the voters who are turning on him. No. Well, by the way, now no. that's a good point though. Is that you and I talk every day on the phone, not doing a podcast. We just talk. And I'm always like resisting you, Arlene, because you're ahead of me. You're, oh, you say, God, yeah. this is so bad. Trump's doing this. And I go, no, he can't do that. Yeah. And then, of course, he does do it. So <laughs> and after then I three, get back on the blower and say, well, John. <laughs> well, after three and a half years, I never poo-poo what Arlene says. I call her, thanks to our, a mutual friend of ours, the sage. You are way <laughs> ahead of everybody. So if you say something's going to happen, I don't poo-poo it. But the one thing I've held out hope all along is the one institution Trump has not corrupted are the American voters. He can't corrupt them. He's maybe brainwashed 40 percent of them, but not the majority of them. (laughs) Well, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. And I have faith in the majority of people are going to do the right thing. Well, and they may, you know, you and I were chatting before we started this podcast, there was a piece in the bulwark and the suburban women, independents. Well, no, they were people who'd voted for Trump. There were before. nine. They all voted nine. for Trump. They all Correct. voted for, for Trump. And this Supreme Court had not changed their mind. It had done what some people wondered, you know, in the minds of those people who are leaving this president. Is this just another example that he's cooking the books here? And they don't like it. Well, and the thing they d- disliked the most in the focus group was Trump saying this week that I'm not going to do a peaceful transfer of power. I'll only do that if I win. That, well, thank God. That thank God it upsets people. <laughs> yeah, and I have faith the majority of people don't like that. As you know, I've said all along, a majority of people from day one, from the first polling at the inauguration, a majority, 55%, have disapproved of Trump and want to get rid of him. But they've never had a chance to get rid of them till now. You know, they're voting right now in some states and November 3rd. And I think they're going to want to get rid of them. But we have one more crucial institution. Yeah. The piece de resistance, really, isn't it? Well, and it's the FBI. Yeah. But he hasn't been able to corrupt it. Now, he has tried to corrupt it, obviously fired Comey, put in Christopher Wray, who is not corruptible. And to his credit has twice in the last couple of weeks gone to Capitol Hill and testified in open hearings that the Russians are now meddling on behalf of Trump or really to hurt Joe Biden. And he testified he, the FBI has found no evidence of systematic fraud in our elections. Trump is furious thinking about firing him uh, because of this. Remember the line to, at dinner to James Comey, I need your loyalty. Yeah, we can hear that. We can hear that line with every move and firing in the White House. So we're all eyes on the FBI. I want to ask you, John, you and I were talking about some polling. Do we have any, what's the latest indication on whether or not this is affecting the people he's not paying all that much attention to, perhaps, the voters? Yeah. Uh, Well, we have two new polls out that are sort of similar, Uh, ABC poll. Biden 54, Trump 44. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and a new a New York Times has a new poll, Biden 49, Trump 41. So let's take Trump's numbers, 44 in one poll, 41 in the other. You look at all the other polling over the last six months. Trump is always mired in the low 40s. And in a two-person race, you can't win, even in the Electoral College, because it's just too big a disparity. And that 41, 2, 3 percent for Trump is mirrored in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona. He's there in all those states. And I don't think after three and a half years of digging that grave, I don't think he can get out of it in five weeks. I think he's, to change analogies, he's made his bed and he has to sleep in it. And I think he kind of knows it, which is why he's throwing the bed out the window saying, the hell with the election. Let's try something else. Let's try uh, fake electors and uh, we'll tie it up in court. You smirk and you laugh. It's not funny. I mean, it is. uh, We are at the part where... We've all kind of wondered if it was heading or could this nightmare possibly go there? And people who've discussed it have been accused of being hysterical. There's no hysteria here. They were all real things that we talked about today. The scary parts are being, as uh, the saying goes, the scary parts are now being said out loud, John. Well, they are. Now, I I have to, as we sort of get near the end of today's podcast, go back to the beginning of our Mm -hmm. podcast. Mm -hmm. One of our earliest ones was... Um, with Dr. John Gartner, who was formerly of Johns Hopkins, who's one of the co-founders of Duty to Warn. He's a psychologist. And in a very good interview with you and me. Mm-hmm. And they he, have the new movie out, Unfit, was true. number one on Netflix for a while. We but you got this guy for us before other people had him. We, we had him mm-hmm. very early. And he went through the mental illnesses that he diagnoses mm-hmm. Donald Trump and how they were going to get worse and worse and worse as time went on. And that it and then I threw my line in that you and I used to laugh about. I used to say to you, well, this isn't going to end well. And mm-hmm. I don't know. You who said that on election night. This I one did. I did. Well, now we're approaching another election night. Uh, I, I think the election itself will end well with Trump uh, technically being voted out. But I don't know that it ends that way. I don't know that he accepts it. I don't. Uh, none of us do. It's going to something I mean, weird. Let's face it, violence in the streets is now a possibility that people are talking. I mean, people are actually using the words, the, what are the ingredients for a civil war? It's terrible. Well, let me, that's why we, we listed these institutions that he has corrupted mm-hmm. or tried to corrupt. And I made a point today of mentioning two that he's not been able to corrupt yeah. the military and the FBI. If he loses in the vote on November 3rd, 4th, 5th, whatever it's counted, and it's clear that Biden won, let's just say that's the case. I predict to you the FBI and the military are going to follow those results very closely. Mm -hmm. And when Trump starts ordering them to do stuff that they know is wrong, they won't do it. Christopher Wray, I'm sure, won't do it. I think General Milley has now gotten his... Uh, come up and I don't think he'll do it. I think, and the way Washington works, once you know the other guy has won, the power just starts going to the new guy right away. And the old guy, the lame duck president. So it, far, no gals. Yeah, well, it's coming. <laughs> but the, the lame duck president, it just, it decreases. People don't care as much. The staff wants to work on their resumes to get a new gig and all that. He's, he's going to be surprised what it's like. 
once he loses this thing. And here's another theory, and it's it's not complimentary to the president, but it keeps us kind of hopeful. He he may be doing this as the way out. So if he loses, he can carry all those fanatical voters that he has, the ones who are not going to leave him, even though he loses, and say, oh, it was a phony vote. And that whole section can move over into kind of like an Alex Jones situation yeah. where they say something never happened. And is that going to infuse itself a little bit in American politics? So that may be just he's He's trying to say, you know, I never wanted to join the club anyway, or it was all rigged against me or just a way out so that his inner self can somehow find right. any way of dealing Good. with it. Well, by the way, as we end, we have to say one mm-hmm. other thing, because before we do another podcast, there will be the first debate on the 29th. Crucial, crucial signpost along the way of this campaign. First time a lot of Americans will see Joe Biden live, unfiltered, not through the lens of whatever TV station they watch. And, you know, I think Joe Biden has a chance to do what Ronald Reagan did in 1980, is with all the attacks that he's senile and sleepy Joe and can't put two words together. He comes out there and looks like a president, speaks like a president, tries to unite people that there's a better day ahead and we don't have to have four more years of this nonsense. I think it'll be a dam breaking point. The dam will break on a lot of these soft or undecided voters who really don't want Trump again. They don't know Biden. They see Biden. He's acceptable. He's not the greatest candidate ever, but he's a very good human being. He's a Subaru in a snowstorm. There you go. It'll get you there. You know, he'll, he'll get you there. In a, in one piece. And then we'll see the president perhaps, um, revisit his claim that Biden's getting shots in the ass to keep him. Well, that must mean Trump's getting them. (laughs) Ah, it's good to laugh. John, until the next time, I'm Arlene Biden. And I'm John LeBoutlier, and this has been Revolution. People in this country are going to be heard November 3rd. Every vote in this country is going to be heard and they'll not be stopped. And I'm confident all the irresponsible, outrageous attacks on voting will have an election in this country as we always have had. And uh, and, and he'll leave. 